1: Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome back to a very exciting episode of the Storybox Podcast. Today, my friends, I'm delighted to welcome Kara Dansky to the Storybox. Many of you may have seen her book, The Abolition of Sex, or you may have seen her on the Dr. Phil show. This is where I became introduced to her and her work, uh, which was an amazing appearance on the Dr. Phil show. I even made a video about it. You can go and watch that one. I loved her take on many, many things, which we'll no doubt get into during this conversation. But before I dive into everything else or me gushing about everything that you've done, Kara, what I've been doing recently is turning it on my guest and asking my guest who they are and what they do. I felt like I should do that uh, with you today. Would you mind taking it away about who you are and what you do? Who
0: I am and what I do. Uh, so I'm a lawyer. And let's see, (laughs) let let, let me go back a little bit before that to say that I consider myself as having always been on the political left, literally uh, since childhood. And when I was 18 years old, I registered as a Democrat. And I have always been a Democrat, except for a very brief period of time when I was a member of the Green Party. And then I re registered as a Democrat in order to vote in the 2008 presidential primary election. So I'm, I've always been on the political left. I understand we we are people in our countries use words like liberal and conservative very differently. Um the, My point is just to say that I've always been on the political left. I've also always considered myself a feminist and I have done various things with feminism over the course of my life. I, um uh, in college, I was part of what was called then the Women's Center. and we did things like take back the night rallies to raise awareness of male violence against women. We did things like abortion clinic defense where we stood literally linked arm in arm at abortion clinics uh, to to prevent protesters from being able to access an abortion clinic and to help women seeking abortion access to do so. Uh, And I volunteered at uh, an American organization called the National Abortion and Reproductive Rights Action League in law school. So I've always been a feminist. And then what happened is after I graduated law school and I worked in the U.S. federal judiciary for a number of years, I decided to go into criminal justice. And so I entered what is sort of loosely in America referred to as the Progressive Criminal Justice Reform Movement. And I became a public defender. I represented people who were charged with crimes anywhere from minor drug possession up to murder. And then I got into the public policy arena and I started studying America's mass incarceration system and our somewhat draconian, I would say, sentencing policies. And I did a number of jobs and eventually I ended up at the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, where I was working specifically on the ACLU's campaign to end mass incarceration. And I also oversaw an investigation into, and a report on police militarization in the US, which is extensive. We could talk about that if you'd like, but the report that we published in 2014 coincided with the eruptions in Ferguson, Missouri, around the killing of Michael Brown. And so that report got a fair amount of attention in the American leftist media. And at the end of 2014, I ended up leaving the ACLU for personal reasons, and I took another job. And I also, at that time, learned about the threats that so-called gender identity poses to women and girls and to the material reality of sex. And I got increasingly involved in radical feminism which was enjoyable for me because it got me back to my roots in feminism. And it was good. So for a period of years, I had, I was operating on sort of two tracks. One was the track that paid the bills. That was my criminal justice law and policy work. And the other track was all volunteer work with the radical feminist organization, Women's Liberation Front. And eventually what would happen is that in 2019, My career in the so-called progressive criminal justice reform community in the United States would come crashing to a halt. And these days, since 2020, I do nothing but fight for the rights, privacy and safety of women and girls and to stop the abolition of sex. Uh, and, And I'm very happy to be doing that. So that's that's a bit of who I am and where I come from. Is that good?
2: Welcome so much to the Storybox podcast. <laughs> that is a fantastic introduction, I have to say. There is a lot that you said there that we can go down many different rabbit holes and tangents, but I, I guess I wanted to ask you, are you still do you still consider yourself to be a lefty?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh as far as I'm concerned in my country, and I can't speak to anyone else's And I'm more familiar with these dynamics in the UK than I am with the dynamics in your country. But my principles haven't changed at all. I remain completely committed to the values and principles that I've always espoused. I do think that my party has completely sold out traditional leftism and completely sold out women and girls, as well as free speech and I don't want to get into authoritarianism too soon, but you know we can talk about that. But I, I have not abandoned my principles or my values. My party has.
2: Well, it seems like in today's day and age, you ride right, the. We have this more or less radical side on the left, which is seeping into the mainstream. I guess you could say Democratic Party, and now because the radical side is seeping into the sort of mainstream Democrats, it's now at the forefront. Of society. And A lot of people have changed their values to suit more or less the radical side. So it's hard to sort of be a Democrat these days uh, and not see yourself as being like progressive in a way and not going along with what the radical side is going along with. That's the way I see it at least. And then you've also got the Republican side, which is this crazy conservative over the top <laughs> version that the radicals absolutely hate. And are constantly attacking. So, I mean, how do you navigate that entire world trying to be a Democrat, upholding your, I guess, values within that particular party if you've got this, I guess, incredible push that the actual radicals are trying to demolish all that the Democrat Party actually holds dear to itself or originally did?
0: So as a radical feminist, I don't want to credit the contingent that you're talking about as radicals. I think they're actually regressive, conformist authoritarians. Right. Uh, cool. <laughs> but, I, but I know what you're talking about. I understand the dynamic. If we're talking American Party politics, it's it's very challenging because the, the Democrats in power uh, – the, the agenda to abolish sex hasn't just seeped in. It's taken over. It has completely taken over Democratic Party leadership. Yeah. So that's a problem, clearly. And when I think about my country's party politics and I think about elections, we will have some important elections in 2024. And I think that... 2024 will be republicans to lose. I think the republicans should be all over the democrats insanity when it comes to so-called gender identity. Uh and some of them are, but many of them aren't. And I also pay attention to a lot of people who pay close attention to republican party politics, which I mostly don't, but what I am hearing is that the Republican Party is also in a lot of trouble because they're they they're too they're too closely aligned with their evangelical wing. That there are mainstream moderate Republicans with whom I probably agree on a lot of things mm. who do not like the Christian evangelical bent of the Republican Party. So I, I from where I sit politically. I think the Democratic Party is in massive trouble because I'm I'm not famous, but I have become fairly well known in lefty, radical feminist American circles. And people email me and contact me on social media all the time to say I'm a lifelong Democrat. I'm on the political left and I'm so disgusted with the Democrats. I will never vote Democrat again. And I, of course, understand that I will not be voting Democrat in 2024 unless they change course, which they probably won't. But we'll see. So I totally get that. And I see my party as in complete crisis. And then I read people who say that the Republican Party is in crisis because there are moderates who don't agree with the staunch anti-abortion, staunch Christian evangelical wing, which seems to have taken over, even though the leader of the staunch evangelical wing is a maniac who is obviously not, <laughs> who is obviously not himself a Christian evangelical. Mm. So I, it's a free-for-all. I don't know.
2: Do you see, what do you foresee happening if the Democrat Party actually does get in in 2024? What do you foresee happening to society?
0: I think all bets are off. I mean, I don't know if the I don't know if the current president will be alive in 2024. I'm sorry, you know, like I don't want to be respect disrespectful. I'm just like it's
2: worrying, isn't it?
0: (laughs) You know, I I I don't know, but I I will also just say you didn't ask about this, but I've never liked Joe Biden. I've never liked him. Um, This is maybe too insider American politics, but I was so mad at him about how he treated Anita Hill during the Clarence Thomas Supreme Court hearings. I don't know if your viewers will know about that. I don't want to assume too much, but um, I've never liked the guy. I've never voted for the guy. I never wanted to vote for him. And I will say I did vote for Biden-Harris in November 2022 because I just needed to express my solidarity with getting rid of the maniac who was running the Oval Office for four years. That's the only reason I voted for Biden-Harris. I wanted to spend the rest of my life never voting for Joe Biden. But I did it in November 2022. Uh, I won't do it again in 2024. I won't.
2: So you much rather...
0: I, either. I mean, I'm, I'm not voting for a Republican in the presidential election either, whether it's that crazy man or somebody else. I won't do it. Yeah, That's where I stand personally. I won't tell anyone who to vote for. I understand it's these things are very difficult, but that's where I am.
2: I know a lot of people feel quite passionately about their particular party and politics as a whole. I mean, it's part of human nature. Uh, As we sort of grow in society, a lot of people seem to just attack one another depending on their politics, which I find incredibly fascinating. Like you can't actually hold a conversation with someone respectfully nowadays because everyone just goes, oh, you're a Democrat. So therefore, because I disagree with you, I don't need to associate with you anymore. And I think that's wrong. It's, it's totally unfair. But I also see in the same instance the massive decline in society because of this major push on gender ideology. And it is very, very concerning because they're, pushing it on kids so much now. And then you're the bad person for standing up and saying this is wrong. It's unbelievable. Do you know where this all began or have you looked into where it all began?
0: Where it all began. So if I can just go back a little bit in terms of what you were saying, the breakdown in civil discourse in society really depresses me. And in part, what I mean by that is I grew up in the 1980s and my parents were Democrats on the left. And one of their closest couple friends uh, was a couple who were Republicans on the right. And they had a shared love of uh, the card game bridge and (laughs) cocktails. And they had a tradition once a month. On a Saturday, they would get together. Either my family would go to their house or their family would come to my house. And the adults would play cards and drink cocktails, and the kids would all play in another room. And we could overhear our parents arguing strenuously with each other, it, it, with you know, with with principles and vehemence, and in in accordance with their own values, my parents, the Democrats, their friends, the Republicans. And then they would say, okay, okay, back to the game. And then they would go back to the game and back to having fun and drinking cocktails and playing cards. And I agree with you. I feel like that's lost. Yeah. You know, they, they had all the arguments that people were having in the eighties. We were taught, you know, my parents hated Ronald Reagan. They loved Ronald Reagan. We talked about the cold war, blah, 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 you know, all the things we talked about them and it feels like that can't happen anymore. So I just wanted to share that story. Um, so, So where did it come from? Where did the specific phenomenon of transing kids come from?
2: Yeah, I guess like harping on what you said just a moment ago, we will get into where the transing of kids has become such a major phenomenon. But I I remember the same thing. I mean, I, I grew up in late 90s, early 2000s. And I just remember my parents doing a very similar thing. Having conversations, having debates with either friends, family members, that kind of thing, we would be considered. I grew up in a conservative Christian home, so it was always interesting to hear from people that were on sort of like a, a leftist or progressive kind of take. <laughs> and even growing up, we were—I was brought up with the the whole philosophy and idea to be respectful of another person's views and not to remove yourself just because you disagree with them i mean you can still have friendships and i've got a lot of friends of mine still to this day that would consider themselves to be democrats or on the left or even progressives and i can still i can still hold meaningful conversations with them i may disagree with them on certain things but i'm not going to cut them off completely because that's what that's what I think is a problem with society nowadays. It's just like we're we're creating this toxic environment of I'm just going to cut you off. I'm going to cancel you. I'm I'm going to make you your voice not heard anymore because I disagree with you. And that is totally totally wrong. It it just just ruins society as we know it. To be honest with you, so that's my stance on that. <laughs> just wanted to harp on it. Um, so I agree with you, but also going back to where did this all come from i guess transgenderism has been around for a long time it's sort of been in the in the shadows from my perspective am i correct in saying that
0: yeah i mean it's yeah um medically it's been around since the 1950s or 60s in terms of people having surgeries To make their bodies approximate the opposite sex, more or less. But no one changes sex. And even when that was happening at that time, 70 years ago or so now, nobody thought that anybody changed sex. They were conducting strange surgeries in Denmark, you know, involving men who thought they kind of wanted to be more perceived as women, but they were all very experimental at that time. And they've gotten more advanced now, but nobody changes sex still. So all of these surgeries are just, they're hurting human bodies. Um, The introduction of puberty blockers into the mix is where it starts hitting kids, But there's a lot more to say about it even than that, which is to say that in the 1960s, 70s and going until the 80s and up until the 90s, we had a thing in the American Academy called queer theory. And I blame queer theory for a lot of this, because what queer theory says is that sex itself is a social construct Mm -hmm. and that the problem, the problem is not. Not sexism. The problem is the idea that sex is real, and it was in the American Academy where the 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 notion that the material reality of biological sex was itself oppression is what started this whole thing going. And I I try to make the case in my book that if a bunch of academics in the ivory tower in the U S and it's not all American academics. I want to, I want to be very clear about that. We're not all, I mean, I'm not an academic, but it's not all Americans who are to blame. One of the most, one of the worst offenders was Michelle Foucault uh, who was French and who was speaking in an American university. But the argument was that sex isn't real, but if, A bunch of off-the-wall academics who thought that sex isn't real had tried to sell the American population, let alone the global population, on the idea that sex isn't real. They would have failed colossally. And so they had to make up a word. And the word that they made up is transgender. And that's what started all of this.
2: And the whole gender identity came off of that as well?
0: You know, I don't know exactly when the first use of the word gender identity came, but the, the concept of gender identity goes even further than the idea that a person. OK, so I think where it started was the idea that it's possible for a male person to be born in a female body and it's possible for a female person to be born in a male body. That is, of course, ridiculous. Nonetheless, that's how it started. But now the whole concept of gender identity has been expanded such that now we have 8 billion gender identities. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've literally read an article that said we have as many gender identities. Excuse me. It said there are as many gender identities as there are people in the world. That's an insane thing to say. There are 8 billion or so of us on this planet, and every single one of us is either female or male. And if some people have gender identities, I suppose they can have gender identities. It's the same thing as having a cat identity or a turtle identity or a tree identity. None of it's based in reality.
2: No, it's a denial of reality is the way I I see it and so many others actually see it. And it's like we've put this actual mental health condition that a lot of people have. It's at the forefront of society now. And all these activists are saying that laws are apparently uh, erasing trans kids. There's no such thing as trans kids but they're apparently erasing trans kids. They're erasing trans people from the very fabric of society, and that is somehow cruel. What's your views on that?
0: Well, I'd like to address the topic of mental health for a second because my understanding is that back in the 80s and 90s, when there were a lot of men who, and specifically gay men, who felt because of the homophobia of society that they would be more comfortable existing in a body that might have appeared slightly more female, even though nobody was fooled. Everybody knew they were men and they didn't think they were female. They Uh they weren't really confused. It was more a reaction to society's homophobia that these men felt more comfortable living in a way that allowed them to present as stereotypically female. But they weren't, I mean, they may have been mentally ill in in ways, but they didn't actually think they were the opposite sex. Fast forward to today, or no, fast forward to 2021, when I published my book. That's the reason I'm saying that. At that time, I was mostly of the view that a lot of the people who call themselves transgender were not actually confused. What they were doing was lying. Uh, Here we are two years later and there's a body count of young people who have been seriously and permanently harmed at the altar of this ideology. And I've spoken with enough of these young people and read their stories to think that many of these young people were seriously confused. Yeah. They really thought that they were the opposite sex, and they took the advice of their psychologists, psychiatrists, therapists, as well as the medical practitioners to get irreparable endocrine endocrine changes, hormonal changes, and surgeries to permanently alter their bodies. And that's devastating. And so so I think that there's a growing percentage. And, and probably still growing percentage of people who are seriously mentally confused about their sex. but I also just want to say that I still maintain that there is a category of people and these are the men who are autogynophiles if you want to break that down for your viewers we can do that these are men who are just lying they are not confused they do not think they're female they're sexual predators they are sexually aroused at the thought of themselves as being female. They're just outright lying and I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. I do have tremendous sympathy for people who are sincerely confused. And part of that sympathy comes from a period of my own life when I was 18 years old and I went to college and I was confused about my body in the sense that I was anorexic and I believed that I was morbidly obese when in fact I was not. Uh, The scales, the, the numbers on the scale decreased rapidly. I went from a very healthy weight to a lower but still healthy weight, to an increasingly alarmingly low weight. Because I was confused about my body, I was Mm -hmm. struggling with some psychological issues. And to their immense credit, and I will ever be grateful, my parents forced me to get help with understanding the difference between my delusions about my body versus the reality. And that was like, I don't know, 30 Over 30 years ago, and I've been fine ever since, I'm happy to say, but it's just to say that for for these young people who are sincerely struggling with delusions about their bodies, I I really want to get help, the help that they need to accept reality.
2: I I can relate to you when you mentioned um, the anorexia. I mean, I had anorexia and bulimia as well. So there was that level of confusion for me thinking that I was indeed fat, but I wasn't. So every time I looked in the mirror, there was that level of dysphoria that I had. And I needed to get help. And thankfully, I ended up getting the help that I needed. And there are a lot of people out there that, look, growing up, as a kid, especially in today's day and age with social media at your your fingertips, it's incredibly hard because you're bombarded with all this information, comparison, everything under the sun, and I feel for a lot of kids that are growing up today because it is extremely difficult versus kids that grew up in say the 60s or the 70s. I mean, I was having a conversation with my mom and she didn't really have to worry about all the stuff that a lot of the Gen Z kids are worrying about today. So it's almost unfair in many respects, but also society, all the psychologists, a vast majority of them are now having to affirm a child that comes to them or a teenager that says, I don't feel comfortable in my body. I feel like I am a different sex. And then the psychologist will go, okay, fantastic. I affirm all that. And then they end up taking them down this really horrific path, only confusing them even more, I don't believe that is kind one bit.
0: Yeah, I agree. And it does seem to be increasingly the case. I, there, there's a tiny handful of therapists in the US who will work with kids who are struggling with this and who won't immediately affirm, but it's a tiny handful. the The profession in general is just affirmation only and putting these kids on this path that um, that leads to permanent sterility and other physical harms, disease, higher likelihood of cancer, loss of bone density. Um, And it's important also to note that a lot of what the profession says is that they'll say, the therapist will say to parents, if you don't affirm your child in your child's gender then your child will commit suicide. Yeah. And these parents are being gaslit and psychologically abused because of course that's abusive of course every parent wants to protect their children at all costs. And so these parents are being manipulated into consenting to things that they they ought not but they do it in a in a good faith often, not always, but in in good faith. And it turns out that suicide turns out to be higher after these kids get all these hormones and surgeries. These hormones and surgeries solve nothing. And so many of these kids have comorbidities, which is to say so many of them have other things going on in their lives. A lot of them struggle with autism, A lot of them struggle with anxiety and depression. A lot of these kids uh, don't have mental health issues, but they are same-sex attracted. And they're being told that if they're same-sex attracted, then they have to get the surgery. It's it's basically transing the gay away. And it's awful if you're someone on the left who cares about the rights of same-sex attracted people. Or, you know, I, I am persuaded today that there are a lot of Americans... Uh, who consider themselves conservative, who are not homophobic. And it's awful. It's awful from any perspective to tell a young person who's just exploring sexuality that they need to change their body because they might be attracted to members of the same sex. That's just
2: grotesque. Mm. Even going down the path of giving them chemicals yeah to change their hormonal structures which is naturally given to every single one of us we need to go through puberty so for someone that is exploring who they are and who they are attracted to it is cruel and barbaric to then go to that child saying what you're feeling right now is not Natural at all. What you're feeling right now is you need to go to the complete opposite sex because everything you're feeling is totally wrong. You need to be a completely different sex now. And then what you're feeling is going to be right. That's the kind of horrific logic. It's not even logic. It's well beyond me. It makes like zero sense. And psychologists know this because they study humans they know the psychological aspect so going to a parent that has got no information at their beck and call they've got zero and all they want to do is help their child but the psychologist that should know better is now emotionally blackmailing the parent into trying to into affirming their child in transitioning in in this way because they feel like they got no other option. Meanwhile, there's so many other options available for the parent to do to help their child. Same with the psychologist, but that's not happening. And my question is, or well, has always been, why is it? Why isn't it actually happening? Like it used to happen. It used to be okay, but now it's considered to be transphobic, homophobic, and conversion therapy, trying to help someone. So where do you fall in the, how do we actually help these people that are really struggling versus, I know the people that have ornogynophilia, that have sexual fetishes, those people, there's a different thing that we need to do with those people but the the ones that are actually really suffering with mental issues where do you fall on helping them
0: i mean i want everyone who's sincerely confused about their sex to be helped to accept themselves as they are in the sex that they are and i think that transing same-sex attracted teenagers is conversion therapy. It's no different from gay conversion therapy from the 1950s. It's arguably worse because it's removing healthy children's body parts. I mean, as you said, it's bar- it's absolutely barbaric. Um, I don't know what to do about the professional associations that are engaging in this. I mostly work at the political and legal level I, I want to get rid of this entire concept of gender identity and part of how we're doing it. And by we, maybe now I could introduce Women's Declaration International. I'm the president of the U.S. chapter of Women's Declaration International. And we work to just get rid of the concept of gender identity at all of of U.S. government, local, state, federal, and we advance the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, uh, which you can find at womensdeclaration.com. And I just think that this is so important. I think ultimately it's going to happen when a mass of people across the political spectrum understand just how devastating this is. I think that this is going to become certainly the biggest medical scandal of the 21st century, even though we're still in the early decades of the 21st century, but this is going to become one of the biggest medical scandals in history if we survive it.
2: Yeah, good, good end point there, if we survive it. (laughs) Because the way we're heading, if it's anything to do with history and what history has taught us about when we end up down this path too much, It ends up destroying society. It's like the ultimate collapse of it. I mean, if you look at other countries at the moment, they're not really worrying about, like, if you look at China, North Korea, Russia, they're not really worrying about this whole gender identity thing. It seems to be just mainly the West for whatever reason. It's like it seems to be the main political issue that is going on, not the economy, not what's happening in the rest of the world. No, we're going to create all these laws to protect these trans rights, which I want to ask you about that. Trans rights. What the what the hell are these trans rights?
0: So every time someone wants to ask me, you know, why do you hate trans people or what's your problem with trans people or all the things, my question is just, what does that even mean to you? Mm. What What is this category of people called transgender? I don't know. No one's ever been able to explain it to me. I do understand that every single person on the face of the planet is either female or male. I also understand that there's a category of people who are born with chromosomal anomalies, right? People with differences of sexual development, which is a whole other thing. And then there's this category of trans, trans rights, trans athletes, trans professors, trans students. But there's really no such thing. I mean, it just doesn't, it exists in the sense that it's a cultural phenomenon, but it's not grounded in biological reality. We're just propping up, we're essentially, we're propping up a movement to obliterate the material reality of sex throughout society. And that's really, really dangerous. And there's a reason that we're doing that. And the reason that we're doing that, and now I'm going to sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat, (laughs) but I'm not. So there's a guy named Martine Rothblatt. He was born Martin and he claims to be a woman. And he has written a book called From Transgender to Transhuman. And he means it. Now, if Martine Rothblatt were just some weirdo sitting in a basement spewing bizarre theories, I would not be too concerned about Rothblatt. However, he is not. He is a multimillionaire who has appeared on the cover of New Yorker magazine as one of the wealthiest women in the world. And he's appeared on NBC talking about his transhumanist agenda. He has a company called TerraSem, That's T-E-R-A-S-E-M. And you can just Google it, TerraSem.com. And he talks very openly about wanting to create things called mindware, which is basically extracting our... Our human brains, all the content in our brains, and putting it in the cloud and turning us all into cloud beings. Again, I realize I sound like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat right now. But the problem with criticizing me for being a conspiracy theorist is that Rockbutt isn't hiding this. He's wide open about it. He talked about it in New Yorker, he talked about it in NBC, he talks about it on his website, and he has billions of dollars. So he's not just some crackpot sitting in a basement somewhere. This is a this is a thing. I mean, I don't know if he'll succeed, but that's where this is going, or that's where this is intended to go.
2: Yeah, the destruction of society as we know it, and these people. You're right; they're not hiding any of it, which is like should concern us. But it's almost like that Australian kind of mindset in many respects. Oh, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. She'll work itself out kind of deal. That's what a lot of Australians are, are sadly thinking about this whole entire issue. Like, there was the same thing. Like, uh, it'll work itself out. We'll let the politicians, we'll trust them. Easy going. Let's go. No one's willing to actually stand up and say anything because if you say anything, they're afraid to be called a bigot, uh, transphobe, homophobe, whatever else. And I'm just like, let's look at what transphobia, let's look at homophobia, let's look at what these words actually mean and are associated to before you get so afraid about being called a homophobe or even a transphobe. Phobias, uh, I'm not sure if you want to get into this, because I know you're probably fully aware of it, but I did an entire video explaining this, And sadly, I had to take it down because YouTube didn't like it. They just didn't like it, believe it or not. But I explained scientific and psychological aspects to phobias that people have. And being homophobic and transphobic need to be, in order for that to happen, you need to be diagnosed by a psychologist in order to actually have this so-called phobia. The vast majority of people don't, they're not homophobic. They're not this so-called transphobic. So why do everyone get their knickers in a knot all the time and so afraid being called this? Like it's a label. We just throw these labels out out at people and think that's going to make things, like it's going to shut them up. And it it works. It's sad. It works. It's unreal. Sorry, I went on a tangent there. (laughs) No,
0: that's okay. It it works sometimes. But I I do just also want to say that I think there's a difference between the label homophobic and the label transphobic. And I think the difference there, I mean, I agree with you that it's great to break those things down, but the the concept of homophobia, whether anyone is homophobic or not, but the concept of it does relate to one's feelings about people who are actually homosexual, which is grounded in reality. And there are people who either are afraid of or hate, people who are homosexual, those people do exist. But the concept of transphobia can't be real because the concept of trans isn't real. It just, it doesn't make any sense. There's, no one's trans. I mean, literally no one's trans. I mean, there are people who, depending on what trans means, which no one's ever explained it. If trans means people dress out of conformity with their sex stereotypes, Okay, Um, there's a guy who runs around Washington, D.C., where I live, who wears women, stereotypically women's clothing, and he terrorizes people. He demands money. People give him money. He just accosted me today, literally in the street, wearing a long flowery dress and a hat, like stereotypically women's hat. And anyway, there are people who behave that way. Like, I am afraid of that person, but he's a man. There's no such thing as him being trans. He's just a man wearing stereotypically women's clothing. Um, And I don't think that, and and I think that fear is legitimate because he's actually really scary. Um, but, But I don't think he's scary because he, quote, is transgender. I think he's scary because he's a freaking weirdo man who terrorizes people on the streets of D.C., but I, but the, the entire concept of transphobia makes no sense uh-huh. because no one is afraid of anyone on the basis of their self-identification as transgender. People just don't want children to be sterilized and mutilated and people don't want men to be competing in women's sports and people don't want men to be housed in women's prisons that's not there's no there's no transphobia there that's just common sense and an interest in maintaining basic decency in society
2: well it goes back to what we were saying earlier the denial of reality as a whole and so they want to create this new reality and they want to force everyone that is actually living in normality into their delusional state of So called reality. It's just, it's backwards beyond actual belief. And I'm trying to work my head around it as best I can. It makes my head hurt. (laughs) It really does. So I don't know, honestly, how these people are able to sleep at night because they're actually denying reality. They're denying science. They're denying biology. And yet somehow they force it to make it make sense for them. It's like, I spoke to Dr. Kevin Dutton a while ago and asked him about this whole entire issue and he wrote a book called Black and White. So the whole idea of having a lot of things in society, they make sense. They're black and white. And when you go into this gray area and things don't make sense, there's a reason as to why they don't make sense. People try and make sense of the things that don't make sense. (laughs) But that doesn't mean you create laws around the things that... Don't make sense. That doesn't mean that you put it at the forefront of society and you take over women and women's sports and their places. It doesn't mean you do any of that. You leave it as being the gray. You're more than welcome to try and make sense of it, but that doesn't mean you try and make everyone else go along with it at all. Just leave it be. (laughs) And it's like society's gone completely nuts now because of this whole. I don't want to offend. Let people live and let live, you know, that kind of whole saying. Let people be the way that they want to be and who they are. Who are you to tell people otherwise? That kind of rhetoric that is being pushed at society at the moment. And everyone just goes, fine. I got nothing against it by all means. But at the cost of them actually. Railing over women, their their places and everything else, and everyone's going. Well, what do we do now?
0: <laughs> the, okay. So, okay, so you said a, a bunch. There. Of things there. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to track the things. Um, first of all, you said that you're trying to make sense of it. I want to offer an alternative suggestion, which is there's no point in trying to make sense of it because none of it makes sense. Yep, and I really think that. The sooner that we all understand that those of us who are grounded in reality understand that we're the sane ones, the happier we'll all be. And we don't have to try to make sense of it because it's nonsensical and it just doesn't make sense. So we can just accept that it doesn't make sense and move on. Um, Another thing I just want to say is that I have written an article that's on my website about how this entire thing is a narcissistic abuser and that's how it has been permitted to take over all of this it th- th- this whole thing the whole thing of gender identity or trans they're the same thing it carries all the hallmarks of being a narcissistic abuser there's a whole bunch to say about that but but basically it it basically thrives by lying to and gaslighting every single person And separating us from our family members if we don't go along. And depriving us of our livelihood if we don't go along. It just carries all the hallmarks of an abuser. Uh, The next thing I wanted to say about what you said was laws. Absolutely. No, fine. Like, if this thing wants to have its thing, um, if people want to have their identities, cool. But no, laws absolutely should not be changed to force every other person to affirm someone's identity weirdness. I mean, that's just bizarre. And this is where it gets back to the original thing that I was saying is we shouldn't legally be required to affirm somebody's fetish. That's just a weird concept. Mm. You know, you know, some years ago nobody would be required to affirm someone's either, either fetish or their confused identity. That just makes no sense. And so those of us who are standing up to reality need to just understand that we're not the crazy ones here. We really aren't. It literally makes no sense to be legally obligated to affirm someone's either delusion or their lie.
2: You did a great job in backtracking. (laughs) Sorry, I went on this spiel, but you're right they make us they make a lot of people try and feel like they're the crazy ones for going against them but you got to remind yourself like these guys with the small minority they still are a small minority with a very loud voice and unfortunately you've got all these politicians that are pandering to them and they back and call and now they've become this incredibly protected class they are literally a new new group of people that are just so protected. I want
0: to ask you, I want to ask, who is the they? When, When you're talking about they are a new protected class, what in your mind is the category of people that you're referring to as they?
2: Well, when I say they, I'm usually meaning like the activist types, the ones that are able to attack women and get away with it the ones that are able to enter into female sports and get away with it and win. There's also this new, uh, well, it's not really new, but uh, in California recently, this uh, man, 15 years old, just won another swimming event. This woman came fourth. She could have come third if this dude wasn't there. He took her chance of going to the next place and and hopefully earning a scholarship. So that's when I refer to they, that's who I'm talking about.
0: Okay. So you're referring to the, to the dudes who lie about sex.
2: Pretty much. They're the ones okay. that are being protected the most at the moment.
0: Yeah. Okay. Got you. I just wanted clarification because a lot of times people say that, you know, trans is a, is still a small community but it but it's not i mean that guy i'll be in california next weekend to protest his participation in the state uh,
2: well done
0: <laughs> so i know exactly what you're talking about but so the category of people that you're talking about there is men and boys who are lying about their sex
2: yeah
0: i don't believe that guy is confused i really don't think he's confused I think he competed in the boys tournaments for a while and lost. And he decided that he could succeed by competing against girls. And so he just decided he's a girl and he's going to join the girls tournament. And California let him do that in accordance with California law. But, but, a, a, but people who lie cannot be a coherent category of people for civil rights purposes. It just can't be.
2: I totally am with you with that.
0: But I don't want to, but in saying that, I don't want to alienate. I, the, the, the growing number of young people who are sincerely confused just really distresses me. And I just have so much empathy for these young people that when I, I have been very outspoken in the past several years in saying there's just no such thing as trans. There's just no such thing. It's all a lie. But now I sort of can't can't really say that in, in good conscience because there is a category of young people, especially the young women, and my heart just goes out to them who have been lied to and misinformed and manipulated to the point of getting their breasts removed and having their voices permanently altered by being on testosterone. And they really thought they were, were trans so it's becoming even more it's becoming even more muddled. But I, I will stand with those women when 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 they know they're women. I'm I'm just very angry at a medical industry that is destroying an entire generation of young people. Well, Not only the medical industry, but the educational system.
2: Yeah. The medical industry are earning a ton of money from either prescribing a lot of the uh, hormones or the puberty blockers, and then even just doing the horrific surgeries to these kids. And then they're saying, well, children can consent to this. Minors can consent. It's totally fine. Totally acceptable. It's totally reversible too. So by all means, we can go through this and then it's you can just reverse it with medication. That's not true. That's not scientific. You can't reverse any of this stuff. It's not going to happen. So why lie to them? I created a video. It was one of my first ones that I had to, thanks to good old YouTube, unfortunately take it down from YouTube, but it was called "trans Transgender, The Greatest Lie Ever Sold. Because I feel for a lot of these kids too. I have a lot of sympathy and empathy for all these kids that are being sold this lie. And they're falling into it day in and day out, more and more kids. It's shocking. It's really, really heartbreaking. And it's like we want to help these kids, but it's almost as if you're powerless in many respects to do that. And if you say trans doesn't exist, you're you're thrown at some label and there's a great deal of hate being being, yeah, being thrown at you again. But anyway, I digress once again. <laughs>
0: uh, no, it's okay. It's, okay. it's just um, there's so many stories of detransitioners coming out in the States and I'm connected with a lot of these young people. And so it, it just really tears at my heart. But um, I'm going to have to go pretty soon. But can we can we finish on a positive note?
2: Yeah, of course we can. Yeah, definitely. So positive note. What is your hope for the future? The future of all this. What are you what are you working really really hard to achieve in the end? And do you do you believe it's actually going to happen?
0: Well, we're going to get rid of gender identity as a concept for sure. There's I have no question about that. Uh yesterday, the UN special rapporteur on violence against women out a statement condemning violence against women who speak out about these things that's a whole aspect we haven't even talked about but women including myself including kelly j keen i.e posy parker who was in australia as you know and then in auckland new zealand um we're subjected to violence all the time when we speak out about these things threats intimidation physical violence And the UN Special Rapporteur on Violence Against Women put out a statement condemning that. And that gives me a tremendous amount of hope that the tide is turning globally. And we're just going to have to keep speaking out. We're going to have to keep talking. We're going to have to keep forging unions, you know, and relationships between people who care about the transing of kids versus the ability of women to speak versus the, you know, women's spaces and sports issue. There's so many issues involved in all of this but we have to join forces no matter which slice of the pie we care most about we we all have to come together to defeat this menace to society
2: can I ask you one final question if that's okay yeah sure regarding feminism so you class yourself as a feminist do you class yourself as being sort of a modern feminist as well or just the more of a traditional feminist with, I guess, modern values in in a, in a respect, or am I getting that wrong?
0: Well, I would say that I derive my feminist values from the second wave, from the sixties to the eighties of second wave feminism, at least in the States. And that looks today pretty similar to what it looked like then, but now we have this whole gender identity thing that we have to grapple with. So The radical feminists in the movement in which I participate, we continue to be very against uh, prostitution, which we would classify as trafficking of women against surrogacy, very much in favor of abortion on demand without apology, very much in favor of women's sex-based rights and the liberation of women as the sex class. And so I would say that today, those of us involved in radical feminism in the States, at least with respect to Women's Declaration International, we derive our values and principles from the second wave feminist movement and we're bringing them into the 21st century.
2: And what are your thoughts on this whole idea that men are the main issue, all men are the problem?
0: I'm not even interested in like, not all men. I so you just introduced like a whole other thing that we could probably talk about for an hour. Um, full disclosure if anyone cares. Like, I live with a guy, you know, like it's fine. I'm straight. I live with a guy, like whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm not gonna put myself in a position of being like, yeah, not all men are the problem. That's that's not even the point. The point is that women and girls need to join together as women and girls and fight our own battles and i'm very happy to partner with any woman or girl who wants to join with us and that includes um women's declaration international australia of which there is a chapter um mm. get in touch
2: well i'll make sure that all those uh organizations that you mentioned that you're a part of are linked in the show notes below so people can check it out if they want to. And I, I, I applaud your work. I really do. And I'm grateful for you. I have appreciated this conversation immensely and wish we could go a lot longer. I apologize if I went on many different tangents myself, <laughs> but there's just so much to cover in such a short space of time. But Kara, thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom, your advice, and for joining me on the Storybox podcast.
0: Yeah, not at all. Thank you so much for having me on. I've really enjoyed our conversation as well. Thank you.
1: Have a catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row.